Our scripture reading today comes from Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of their mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, KCPC. We have a lot to go through uh, and little time. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and truly understand. Father, we desire your divine knowledge to be revealed to us so that we would be free uh, from the enslaving knowledge of the world. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do so in our midst through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I thought I would be a good father. I thought it'd be gentle. I basically have no standards. I thought I'd be just really relaxed. And one day, uh, not too long ago, uh, I was looking at my daughter's homework, and it was a simple logic question. If Dylan, let's say Dylan is third in line, and he's also third from the front of the line and fourth from the back of the line, how many people are in the line? And she, my daughter got that question wrong. And so I kept on training her to get it right. And so we started changing names to use more familiar names, like Ilya is standing third in line and fourth from behind. And so how many people are in the line? And she got it right, and then she got it wrong. And so I, get, I got a little frustrated. I was like, what's going on here? I, I, I guess I have a thing for, like, you know, trying to really teach her well, right? And so like, we were like, let's try Ethan. Ethan is second in line, and five people are behind him. And my gr- voice starts growing. I'm like, and, like you know, say, like, this is how you do it. Okay, second in line, one, two, hi, Ethan. And then four from the behind, hi, Ethan, that's Ethan. How many people are there? And so my voice keeps on growing. And my daughter, uh, suddenly, she, you know, becomes a little sad, and she looks at me, and she's like, Dad, I thought you said I'm supposed to study to please Jesus. And so I'm like, okay, if Jesus was fifth in line. <laughs> I failed that day. Um, but here's the thing. Is knowledge that important? It depends. And all of today's text depend, uh, will talk about why it depends. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteous unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul is so eager to share the gospel as we've talked about so far. He's so eager, not ashamed. Then why does he start with the wrath of God? Let's look at a, a picture of a diamond. This diamond is beautiful. How do you make it more beautiful? You can't unless you do this. Next slide. You put it in a black velvet background. And because of the darkness of the, the contrast, it brings out the light of the diamond. And similarly, why does Paul talk about the wrath of God? Because it is the bad news that makes the good news good. We need a diagnosis of what is bad in our lives to understand the diagnosis of what is good in our lives, which is the gospel. 
And so a lot of people could say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I trust him, but he's like an accessory in life, or he's a friend, or he's a mentor, and not really the savior of mankind. And so we need the dark news, the bad news of the condition of humanity. Imagine you knew that something was wrong with your body, but your doctor wouldn't tell you what it is. There is no good news in that. The gospel is only good because it alone shows first what is wrong with us. Everyone knows that something is wrong with the world. But the comfort of the gospel is that it tells us why. What is wrong? The wrath of God against sinners. The greatest question that we can ever be faced with and the greatest question we need to ask is, how can sinners like me coexist with the holy God? That's her paradox. That's the diagnosis. That's what we need to overcome. And it continues here. Wrath is revealed. Uh, the word revealed is the root word for apocalypse. Uh, apocalyptetai. And so basically what this means is to reveal. But the word also apocalypse means to be judged. Uh, that's why judgment and end times always go together. What it means is that the end time of judgment of the apocalypse is a revealing of a deeper reality that there is accountability. There is a coming moral accountability. That is apocalypse. This verse continues to say, who by their unrighteousness, who is this revealed against? Like who is God's accountability and wrath revealed against? People who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Scripture reveals a very interesting dynamic between the heart and the mind. The heart and the mind. What is a relationship? People are not ignorant about God because of a lack of information or evidence. Listen to this. People are not atheists because they lack information about God. Rather, the unrighteousness, unrighteousness of the heart presses down, suppresses the information that the mind has access to, and it attributes to anything other than God. It's like shutting your ears and going la 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 and not listening. There was a very, very depraved, I think, uh, show program called The Moment of Truth back in 2008. It's a series of 21 questions that grows more explicit and more embarrassing, and you have to answer it with a, uh, a lie detector uh, uh, hooked, hooked on you. And the questions become very, very, uh, very explicit. On the fifth episode of this show, there's a contestant, uh, who, uh, a lady called Lauren, who admitted everything truthfully on a lie detector, detector. And what we found out about her life was that she had been fired for stealing money from an employer. She wanted to be married to her ex-boyfriend while she was currently married. And finally, it was revealed that she has been in an affair two days after they got married. And so she kept on getting you know, $50,000, $100,000 because she was answering correctly and the lie detector didn't detect the lie. And the final question was this for $200,000. What they asked her was, do you think you're a good person? And she says, yes. And she got it wrong. Her body and her mind was telling her that she was not a good person, that she was accountable, but her heart was suppressing it down. I was like, I have to be good. That is what suppressing the mind looks like. The unrighteousness of the heart, blindfolding myself to what I see in reality about myself, about the universe, and then pressing it down. That is the condition of our hearts. The atheist problem, 
the non-believer's problem is not that they don't know God due to a lack of evidence, but they suppress the abundance of evidence due to a heart issue. Why? Why would you suppress that? For the same reason that Adam and Eve suppressed their knowledge of God, because they wanted to be God. There's a movie I want to show you, or uh, a poster of it. It's called Let's Be Cops. Two people who want to party, and they, the best way to do so without getting caught is to impersonate police officers. And so they pretend to be police officers. Guess what the whole narrative is all about? They're running away from real cops. <laughs> because it's so scary. If you're a fake cop, real cops are your biggest scare. Same thing. For those who suppress the truth because they want to play God, the greatest fear is a holy living God. The greatest fear of a person suppressing the truth is an actual living holy God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he is present. And that drives us insane. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What is the truth that we suppress? I'll give you uh, this. You should try to memorize. Number one, that a creator exists. He created me, number two. He has a plan and a purpose and a standard for my life, number three. And I am accountable to him, number four, but I failed that mission, number five. I failed it. That is the truth that we suppress. Unrighteousness, which means a lack of good standing or relational standing with God, that is what suppresses this truth. But faith reveals it to us again to restore right standing with God. Therefore, we don't have to run away from him anymore. Hebrews eleven six it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him forever. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There is a relational issue before there is an evidence issue. I don't like God, therefore I will ignore everything that points to him and attribute it to anything else. Verse 19 says that what can be known about God, God has shown it plainly to them. Where? And the next verse. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they have all been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things, what? that have been made. We're not talking about scripture. We're not talking about revelation uh, that, that comes from people now. We are talking about all of creation. So they are without excuse because everyone sees nature. What are we talking about here? This can be known from all of creation and the things that have been made. What exactly? His eternal power and his divine nature. Something transcendent. Something deeply powerful. If you look at a lightning storm, there's power. There's information being exchanged between the heaven and the earth in the form of electricity. If we look at the human eye, we see great specificity that can't randomly evolve through different evolutionary processes somehow converging at the right time. It has to all come together to be connected with the brain all together at the same time to function. If you look at society even animal society. You'll see sophistication. You'll see order. You'll see a, a desire to flourish. But what else do you see? You're watching a lightning storm. You're like, 
how great is our God, and then someone gets hit by lightning. <laughs> just happened. You look at a herd of zebras, you're like, how beautiful, and then suddenly a lion eats one. <laughs> and you're watching in, in, in a microscope a cell, and you're like, how intricate is our body, and then you see cancer. There is a fallenness to humanity that we cannot help but see in all of the world, and we call this natural revelation. All of creation showing the divine power of God, but also our fallenness in it as well. So Psalm 19, 1 through 2, let's look at the verse. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is something in the universe that's talking about a creator who is powerful and organized and descriptive and prescriptive. However, this natural revelation has a limitation. What we can learn from the created universe is not enough for salvation. Do you get that? It's not enough for salvation. I'll explain more why. Verse 20 merely concludes, because it's not enough for salvation, everyone is without excuse, but they're not saved. In other words, what we can know about God only brings about in nature a moral culpability. I know I need to be forgiven, but there is no answer in the universe. That's why the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge of the natural universe increases sorrow. Because they see brokenness everywhere. Knowledge without God, he concludes, is like chasing the wind. When Adam and Eve ate the apple of the tree of knowledge of, the, of good and evil, what happened? Their eyes were opened. Yes, knowledge. But what happened? They saw they were naked. And they, what did they do? Did they approach God? Did they love him more? Did they, did they honor the creator? No, they hid in shame. I see and I don't like what I see. That is our condition when we observe the universe. There is a knowledge that leads to shame instead of life. Everyone today who suppresses the truth, whether you're an atheist or religious, knows that the world is messed up, <clears throat> that they are personally messed up, and they need forgiveness somehow. So we create, what do we create? Religious systems, where there is a barter system, or a sacrificing system, or a ritual system, or a self-sacrificial system, where we're trying to get forgiveness. All across ancient societies, we are always looking for forgiveness because we see the universe and how broken we are. That's why scripture says, so they are without excuse. However, who grants the forgiveness? How does he give forgiveness? That is the content of something totally different, which we call special revelation. Special revelation. This is the word of God. It's the holy word of God, which shows God's self-revelation, his understanding of himself, and he shows it to us in his word. If you ask which revelation, is it the revelation of, you know, the Quran or Hinduism, uh, come to my apologetics class. We'll figure out why the scripture is the only word of God. But listen to this. The scripture, the special revelation, does not contradict natural revelation. The universe will say the same message about God that the special revelation says, but the special revelation will be a lot more specific. Why? 
because it tells you the identity of the one that you are to worship. Not a magical life force, not the ether, not the world or the life force or the Star Wars force. Scripture tells us that there is a God creator who sent his son. Natural revelation, I talked to you about this like uh, with my daughter. Is her studying valuable? It's only useful when it is founded upon the truth of special revelation, what God says about himself because we have been fallen and disconnected from him. For example, let me tell you what happens when natural revelation isn't together with special revelation. I'll give you a very practical example. <clears throat> we talked about evangelism. And one of those CGs recently. And a lot of people say this. We, we hear this all the time. They say, I want to evangelize by being a good person where I am. And hopefully they'll ask me, why are you so good? And then I'll tell them about Jesus. Now, why do we need to share the gospel in the midst of that? Because everyone already assumes why you're nice. Okay? A Muslim will say, brother, you're practicing sadaqah. That's uh, good charity. So, Allahu Akbar. Like, praise God in their own way. And then, you know, a practitioner of Wicca, you know, witch, witch, witchcraft, she would say, you have a good energy because it's the luminescence of the, 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 you know, the moon shining upon you on winter solace. That's why you're so nice. And the atheist, the humanist will say, you have a common bond with all of humanity. You are kind to humanity. That's why you're, you're kind. Everyone attributes kindness and niceness to something, but it is not the God revealed in the Scripture. That's why the Word of God must be shared. Amen? That's why the Gospel must be shared, because everyone has been in the habit of attributing anything that we see in the natural world to anything but God, because we hate Him. Do you get that? And so... We see that the universe needs a beginning. And it has to be a big bang and a quantum flux before that, a quantum vacuum. We see that life must come from life, but it has to come from non-life in the beginning. How does that jump happen? Everything points to a creator God. Like Information must come from a coder. Right? Those are who are in software engineering, right? Information comes from a coder, right? But anything but God will satisfy the atheist because we are running away trying to be a cop. We're running away to be the owner of the universe. The Christian must glorify the triune God who created the universe, who revealed himself in Holy Scripture who sent his son to die for the sins of men. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the only revelation that can save you. You will not find that in nature. Nature will show you the power of God. It will show you the divineness and transcendence of God, but it will not talk to you about his identity, plan of forgiveness, and who accomplished it. That is in God's special revelation, and we need the word of God. Amen? Amen. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as, as God. That, that we're getting more into this right now. We know God, but we don't honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This verse is critical. It says that though the unrighteous know God... 
they didn't honor or give thanks to him. Remember, what we talked about last week about saving faith. Let's look at notitia, ascensus, fiducia, and just briefly summarize. Okay? You can logically agree, we're not just talking about the cross now, that the cross happened. You could also logically agree, what? With the premises of nature, that life cannot come from non-life, that morality requires a moral code and a moral lawgiver, that, that information must come from a, you know, a, a coder, all these things, and yet hate God, the life giver, the lawgiver, the purpose giver. That is totally possible. So you can notitia in a census. You can know that it happened and you subjectively believe it, but there's no fiducia, fiducia, trusting and loving God as a result. And what, we, what do we call this? Satanic knowledge. The knowledge that Adam and Eve got as soon as their eyes were opened that caused them to run away from God. James 2.19. You believe that God is one? That's good knowledge. Good for you. Even the demons know that, but they shudder because they hate God or they fear him. The knowledge that we need is one that leads to honoring God and thanking him. Amen. Amen. I am so afraid for people who dissect God all the time. Why isn't God doing this? Why does he allow evil? Why does he you know, prolong human suffering? Why, why, why? And we're dissecting God without dissecting ourselves. That is the scariest condition that I know of that all of humanity is guilty of. We have a satanic knowledge that makes us hate God. How many of you have argued a Christian into church, argued an atheist into church? How many of you succeeded in doing that? It's always a heart issue. We aim for the head, not the heart. Sorry, the, the heart, not the head. <laughs> In Hebrew, the verb to know, the best form of knowledge is the word yada. Yada implies a deep relational and experiential knowledge. For example, it says, Adam yada knew his wife, Eve, and what happened? They conceived and gave birth to a child. It's sexual intimacy in this context. What are we saying here? True knowledge of God that leads to a salvific relationship is deeply experiential. You taste and see that the Lord is good and is deeply relational. It's a knowledge that comes from a meeting, an encounter, right? Not just plain scientific data. We are charged with a relational knowledge. We have to know him through a relationship. If you don't have this, well, if you yada, if you truly know God and you love him and you fiducia him, then you will honor and give thanks to him through the eyes of faith, true knowledge. But if you know him without any of your affections in your heart and your unrighteousness being lifted, if, you, if there's no affections changing, then verse 21 says this is a conclusion. Two things happen. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The word futile means useless. Useless, no purpose. It's like doom scrolling at night through TikTok. You're getting loads and loads of information, but does that make you happier? Is that useful for the next day? Do you feel better? Do you appreciate the world more because of TikTok? It's the greatest plan of the enemy to show us all that we are capable of. Futile. Also, why is, that like, why is that useless? Because we lack a worldview to view the information through. 
a compelling Christian philosophy to process it, and a purpose that's bigger than I am to use all that information for. We only use it to gratify ourselves. And so because we don't have that relationship and that direction towards God, it is called futile information. Number two, my heart becomes darkened if I don't have experiential knowledge of God. It means that our love and affections become twisted to desire the wrong things. And usually it's one thing. Let's look at the next slide. It's usually me, myself, and I. The darkened heart is narcissistic. It loves itself. All the information will only be to better yourself. If I want to have an affair, you will process information in a way that justifies it. If you want to kill someone, you will justify it with the information you have access to. Because I love me, myself, and I. Beloved Case PC, do you know God or do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know God? <laughs> Sorry, that was a trick question. No one raised your hand. <laughs> Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. I cried over this verse. Everyone claims to be wise. Nobody knows what they're talking about. I sound really proud saying this, don't I? It's not as, as if I have another standard. No. I am a fool claiming to be wise unless I have the word of God. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. How many people consider themselves wise while actively becoming more and more foolish? On the internet, you see the smartest fools ever. Hyper-intelligent men who use all their knowledge to cut off the branch that they're sitting on. There's no foundation for their knowledge if what they want to be true is true. If God doesn't exist, there is no foundation for knowledge or moral knowledge. If the image of God denies the substance of God, what happens to the image? Us. If we deny God, what do we reflect onto the universe? We lose our focal point, our reference point, what gives us our meaning and purpose. God created the male and female in his image to reflect him, but we got rid of God. What are we now reflecting then? What are we reflecting? You don't have to philosophize. Just read the next verse, right? They exchange the glory. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. More, like, what happens when a mirror reflects a mirror? Endless corridor, right? You see that, right? When an image reflects another image, everything is futile. I'll show you what that means. The sinner's solution is to replace what you reflect while trying to hold on to the reflection. That is stupid. This is a cursed exchange where something priceless, God, is being given up for the worthless of image of God without the substance. So, the natural world that we try to reflect, the image, the creatures, the, the, the birds, the animals, the, the lightning, the storm, the DNA that we try to reflect and call myself a composition of that, those are not bad. God created it and he said that is good. But without God, the image is futile. Everything loses its focal point. 
So after this replacement, after this exchange, instead of, and this is what happens when you replace God with an image of God and you reflect that image, instead of the essence of pure covenantal love, we have the image of pornography. We lost the focal point and we just have the feeling of it, right? Instead of the essence of liberating powerful truth, we have enslaving knowledge that only makes me guilty. Instead of loving and sacrificial community, we have tribes that always fight. When the creator is exchanged with the image, the world flings apart, chasing all the images of the world, looking for some point of satisfaction, something that justifies my existence. And we haven't found it yet, have we? What does God do? He does the scariest thing in response. Verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up. He let them do what they wanted to do. We say his judgment is bad. He let us do what we want to do. To the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's the only logical consequence. And, the, and is God going to force your heart to look back at him if you've abandoned him? And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. What's the result? God let it happen. The lust of our hearts take over now in our cultures, our politics, and our policies, and our societies. Everything now is a reflection of our what? Lust. Everything in the culture is a reflection of our lust. There was a rapper who, you know, rappers usually, you know, if you look at the content of what they're rapping about, a lot of times it's about committing crimes. And there was a, a healthy rapper who said, I'm going to rap about the need for justice and, you know, fairness and kindness. And people said no to that. Because our lust is for the things that give me freedom to do what my heart, my twisted heart desires. What is it? Me, me, me. Me, myself, and I. The scary scene is to, for God to do is just let our nature take over. That's part of it. But God's judgment is terrible because in one aspect, God passively lets the law of nature take effect. But second, God actively judges what he morally abhors. Do you get that? God is a holy God. God is a good God. It is the scariest sentence in the world. Because God is good, he must judge evil. What happens to us then? How do we coexist with the holy God? The nature in the universe will not tell us the answer. That's why we offer sacrifices. We try to live a better life. We look at 12 rules for a better, we look at atomic habits, and we try to make ourselves better and better, saying, I'm worthy to be pleased. I'm worthy to be saved. But only special revelation can save us. Our greatest obsessions in this generation are for things that are beneath us. Do you know that? Our sexuality is beneath us. The trees and the wind and the nature, animals, relationships, food, physics, genetics, sexuality, that's all beneath us so that we could worship God with it because we lost God. We're chasing after things that are not worth our time. So what happens? We don't now own phones. Phones own us. We don't have sex. We are defined by sex. 
Like, how empty is a person who says, I crave the desire of another man, so that's how I'm going to define my identity. You've lost your focal point. All the glorious splendor that you were supposed to reflect, how dare you reduce that to a sexual preference? What is lost when we do that? The fullness of the mission of humanity to rule over the universe and to be perfectly reflecting of the substance of God, we have lost that mission and we all carry out in our own individual missions. How sad that is. Reality has scattered into a bazillion pieces. And instead of searching for the only one who has the gravity to hold it all together, we chase after the images. And this is what happens. Let's look at the next slide. The Lego-fying of my identity. I lost the image. I lost the reference point. So I, I pick up pieces from the world, and I snap it together, trying to reform myself, Right? So it's an in infinite combination of what do people identify these days as, right? It's a mix and match and a Lego piece construction of race, ethnicity, sexual identity, gender, social economic class, and cultural preferences. That's who you are? That is the symptom, a symptom of being the image of God. You have it backwards. This is the diagnosis of the fallen mind that has no reference point. That without God's redemption, not in natural revelation and not in the universe, but in special revelation in God's gospel, what an impossible predicament we are in. I have replaced a substance for an image. I look to creation, not to creator. I don't love God, I love myself. Any evidence I come across, I suppress it because I love my life too much and I compete against God for kingship. How wretched of a man am I? What do we do? Truly, what do we do? You know this because this is your story. You know this. What do we do? It says God is still blessed because God can solve this problem. Amen? God can solve this problem. We can't. We really can't. We are locked in a maze of mirrors, but God can step in and give us substance again. Today's text concludes that God is blessed forever. Why? Because God doesn't leave us to die just surrounded with natural revelation, only telling you guilty, guilty, guilty of something that you know is creeping up in your heart. But what does God give you? He gives you the specific revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is how you can have your substance restored to you so that you can reflect something good something honorable, something noble. This alone, the special revelation, gives us access to the good news. This, that alone, the good news shows a better exchange. We, we exchange the substance for the image, but Christ, the image and the, the essence of God, the very essence of God, offered himself on the cross to redeem the fallen image of man. He reversed that exchange. Let me tell you that to you again. We got rid of the substance and we stand before the mirror without anything to reflect. What does Christ do? He comes to the cross. He gives you the substance of God so that your image would be restored again. Upon the dark velvet of the cross, God holds up his perfect crown jewel, his diamond, his son, Jesus Christ. 
And when you receive that perfect jewel, the good news, in the context of the bad news that we talked about today, what happens? Jesus will shine brighter in the darkness of our minds and hearts. And through Christ, he promises, God promises the following. Repeat after me. He promises a different knowledge. Let's look at the verse. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. Amen. Number two, what happens to you? Repeat after me. This knowledge will no longer be suppressed by an unrighteous heart. Why? And I will give you a new heart that actually desires good things, and that heart will not suppress the evidence that you have to praise God and to let go of yourself, to honor the Creator, and to give thanks to Him. We need a new heart that actually wants something good, not myself. And what is the final promise? Repeat after me together. That knowledge and the heart will bring you closer to God. Let's look at Romans 12 too. The transformation of your mind can help you now not hate God or run away from Him, but to help you discern what is good and perfect even. A transformed heart and mind can change the world. That is why when Jesus comes back and all of us are transforming our hearts and minds, then paradise will be possible. Amen? Because I will be changed. What I know will be processed differently and my heart will desire the right things. Only when humanity is changed, God can fill the earth with the knowledge of the true Lord and Savior. And then we will be in God's kingdom. Amen. Repent today. Trust in Jesus Christ that the special revelation of God offers you and you will be saved from an endless pit of self-referencing.